We're in one of the most famous songs this morning in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, this song of Mary known as the Magnificat. Uh, we are in the midst of the Advent series, right in the middle of it as we consider the hope of Zechariah, the peace that's brought by the multitude of heavenly hosts this morning, the joy and the rejoicing of Mary Next week, the love of Simeon, and then finally on Christmas morning, Jesus, uh, being announced by the angel of the Lord. This morning, we consider Mary's joy, and really what we have is the, joy, the joyful expectation of a new mother. I mean, that's joy, but we also have the joy of a redeemed woman who is magnifying her Lord. Consider it with me as you follow along in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace that is created in this new mother a particular joy, a joy that this morning, because of the inspiration of your spirit, the preservation of your word has come to us today that we too might rejoice we too might become recipients of grace and respond with great joy. I pray that that would work this morning, that you would come with your blessing, that we might be called blessed because you have visited us and we've come to know your salvation and as such, we respond with much rejoicing as we magnify the Lord. I pray that all of that, if that would happen at all this morning, it wouldn't be a normal Sunday morning. It wouldn't be what we've just sort of come to expect that happens. It would be a miracle of grace because our God is with us. Be with us, Lord, according to your promise. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. This song is a song of joy. I mean, from beginning to end, it's a song of joy. It's a song of rejoicing. It's a it's proper that this morning, as we explore the text, as we give attention to the words that are there in this song this morning, that we would consider with our hearts open and our faith engaged the joy of Mary in this song before us this morning. And that's where we begin. We begin by considering Mary's joy. And let me just offer this. I hope it's not trite. It's true that the joy of Mary is the Mary of Christmas. 
There is a merriment. There's a joy. There's a lightness. There's a gladness to Christmas, to the celebration of the coming of our Lord. But friends, that merriness is not just a disposition of spirit. It's not a product of winter or else we would have no chance in Florida. It is a product of something else. It's a product of the joy that Mary herself has found. And friend, if we would have a merry, glad, joy-filled, light-infused Christmas, we too must find the joy of Mary. It is the joy of long anticipation. It is the joy of fulfilled longing. Do you have any longing to be fulfilled? Are you perfectly satisfied like the rich? Are you perfectly full with this world? Or is there some longing that could only be satisfied by that which is not of this world? It's a joy of an unmerited gift. It's the joy of a promise that's made long ago that is now drawing near in fulfillment by grace. And Mary knows it. The song of Mary's joy is the joy of the grace of the Lord. And so, if her song is a song about the grace of the Lord, a gift to her, it's also our joy. We can sing Mary's song. So it's actually the song of the redeemed. Our joy is found in the grace of the Lord. Grace, that is, unmerited gift. Man, hear that. It's all all kinds of confused readings of this song. It is unmerited gift. And it's given in fulfillment of a covenant promise that greatly preceded Mary and is fulfilled in the coming of the grace giver, the grace worker, the grace fulfiller, Jesus Christ. Let's get a little bit of the context. All right, if you look above just a little bit up to verse 39, and in that paragraph there, Mary has gone to visit her relative Elizabeth. Elizabeth has received news that though she's barren and well past the childbearing age, she's going to give birth to a son whom she's told she'll name John. And this is grace to her. She's a recipient of the promise of God, an unmerited grace, and she's a blessed woman, Elizabeth is. This John would become known to us as John the Baptist. We would, this John the Baptist would announce the coming of one who is greater than he, that is the coming of the Lord, the Messiah, who has come to save the people from their sin. And that Messiah just so happens to be given to who? Elizabeth's relative, Mary. And they meet Mary and Elizabeth. And John the Baptist and Jesus meet in the womb as John the Baptist rejoices at the presence of his Savior, even in the womb. And friends, there's so much going on there. I'd love to just pause and sit in it for a moment. Let's at least just say there is some work of the Spirit that is is precognition pre-language, pre-our ability to express ourselves. Friends, it is one of the reasons why CP Kids is one of the most important things for us not to neglect because the Lord works by His Spirit to give grace and joy even to those who can't talk, even to one, in this case, wasn't even born. 
And the Spirit is working there. We come alongside of that work to bring the presence of the Lord by his word, and we pray that the children will rejoice. But here's what I want us to see in that visit between Elizabeth and Mary. Mary and Elizabeth grow in praise as they visit together. And that praise as they visit together it begins to then overflow in what immediately comes after Mary's song. It culminates in a song of rejoicing to the Lord. Let me just ask, what do your visits together look like? Many of you will be have, having relatives in your home. I hope that you'll have guests in your home. I hope you'll have fellows in the church in your home. What does that look like? What is, what is the accomplishment of your fellowship together? Is there ever a song of joy that rises up in you because your fellowship has been found in the grace of Christ? Is that a result of our time together? It should also be said that this song is, is one in a long line of songs of joy and expectation. If you consider all the way back to Isaiah chapter 9, where the Lord increases the joy of the people by rescuing them from an oppressor through the birth of a child deliverer, right? It's basically this song, Isaiah 9, 3. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you with a joy as joy at the harvest, as joy when they divide the spoil. Why? Why, why is this nation filled with joy? For unto us a child is born. To us a son is born. Given. You hear that word? Every time I want you, you hear the word given, every time you hear the word blessed or, or favor, I want you to think grace. Because that's what it means. Gift. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Mary, in this moment, in this song, magnifies the Lord, rejoicing in her Savior, the child who has come, who is himself a gift. He is grace. As the fulfillment of a promise and the grace of the coming of a child king, and that child king is being formed in her. This morning, this psalm gives us three aspects of Mary's joy. The three aspects of Mary's joy are, and it's in the text. I love this. I just, I just told my wife on the way in, this, driving in this morning, I love it when a text is just sitting there saying, hey, here are your three sermon points this morning, Jeremiah. <laughs> and you're just going to see it. It's just sitting here for us to pay attention to. It is a joy that's personal. It's a joy that's condescending. And it's a joy that's covenant-keeping. First, Mary's joy is personal grace. Look at verses 46 through 49. Whose soul? My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me holy is his name. How powerfully personal is Mary's song. My soul, my spirit, he's looked on me. They will call me blessed. He's done great things for me. Mary is blessed. This is a song, be very clear. My soul 
magnifies whom? The Lord, right? He is the object of praise. He is the one who is magnified because He has blessed me. She is the personal recipient of grace. What other word than blessed is better appropriate for one who is the personal recipient of grace? All generations are wise and right to call her blessed. Mary's received the blessing of the Lord, the blessing which is promised to all those who wait upon the Lord. And she has received the presence of the Lord to redeem in power by His holy name. Has not the Lord said that the righteous will live by faith? Habakkuk, we studied it together, right? The righteous will live by faith. Has He not called His people to wait upon Him and to trust in His covenant to redeem? Has the Lord not long called on a people to faith to personally believe, particularly believe? Believe my word. Remember the covenant I've made with you. Has the Lord not long promised grace? And Mary takes hold of that grace personally, particularly by faith. You see, Christian joy is rooted in faith. There is no way to take hold of joy except by faith because joy has as its object grace. Grace cannot be taken hold of, but by faith. If you take hold of grace by anything else, give it a try sometime. You pick up one of the presents you get on Sunday morning and say, yep, earned that. (laughs) It's not a present anymore. It's not grace anymore. Grace, the object of our joy, is only taken hold of by faith. Consider how faith has looked in the life. Of Mary. We have a testament to that faith. Way back in verse 34, when the angel is announced to her, her response is, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, this is a good question. It's not a lack of faith to say, uh, I'm, not, I'm not tracking with you. How am I with child? Right? It's a good question. How can this be? And then in verse 37, We have the response. For nothing, the angel says, nothing will be impossible with God. He's basically saying, you're right. That's not possible. Except nothing is impossible with God. And her response, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to his word. Man, that is such a brilliant response to grace. Thank you. According to your word, so be it. Amen. Mary's faith is rooted in the promise and power of her God. Much like Abraham, right? Mary believed God. And it was counted to her as righteousness. And she becomes the recipient of God's gift. It's not only true that the Savior has come. This is true, and we sing it. We have songs filled with it. But what's also true is the Savior has come for Mary. It's true that the Savior has come 
for her. The Savior is literally formed in her. Is the Lord formed in you? So that the joy of the Lord is also within you. Do you know the grace of God according to His promise that you would say, let it be according to your word that I who am not holy would be filled with the Spirit of God. Consider Galatians 4.19 before you think I'm taking this metaphor too far. Paul longs that Christ would be, and I quote, formed in you. Colossians 1.27 where Paul proclaims the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Friends, this is our joy. Christ in you. Christ not only the Savior of the world, Christ formed in you has done great things in you. Is there any song waiting you have Christ, the Holy One, dwelling within you. Are, if this is true of you, are you not personally, particularly blessed? Friends, I have it in my notes. Something I don't know how to do except for to just say, tell you what I'm thinking. And we should pause. Sit for a minute. What if Mary had said, yeah, yeah, that's true. So what's for dinner, Elizabeth? Will we make it? I mean, you're, you're further along than me. She, she paused. She sang. Is Christ formed in you? Is there any rejoicing in the people of God that Christ has come by grace and we received him by faith? It's rejoicing in the people of God. Has the personal grace of the Lord filled you with a personal joy. I didn't give it to you because my clock's ticking and it's moving along and I got notes to get through. So we're gonna have to take that time. It's an application point. I would send you, would send you to go take a moment at some point in all of this Advent craziness that we call Christmas. What if we took a moment sometime and, and just longed and then saw the fulfillment of our longing in Christ in you. The second point for us this morning in verses 50 through 53, Mary's joy in condescending grace. Look at it with me. In verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. It's always been true. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in their thoughts and in their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he's sent away empty. Condescending grace. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting when you spend time with a beautiful idea that has a name to it like condescending grace, I forgot what condescending means. And I looked up condescending to see if I'd spelled it right, you know? And I saw the definition in Google and it, and it said condescending means to be looking down on someone for, for how weak they are, you know? And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not what this is. Throughout much of the history of the church, we've called this condescending grace because it is a, a coming down with of our God. Because he is greater. And he has every single reason to say, I am great. 
I am the Holy One. Worm. Fool. Rebel. Sinner. Right? That's not what he did. He took on flesh. He took on all of our weakness without our sin. And he he drew near to us. In that way, he is condescending, coming who is on high, down to be with those who are low. This is why Mary calls it mercy for those who fear him. Do you hear that fear? The Lord is holy. The Lord is great. The Lord is powerful. And yet, he has leveraged his strength to save and to gather, to bring low the proud and to exalt the humble. I'm thinking of a moment I was sitting next to my daughter a number of years ago, tiny next to me, and I leaned over and I gave her a big hug. And I said something that, stay with me, don't lose me when I say this. I said, Ella, you know I could crush you. (laughs) That's a nice thing to say to a daughter. And she said, yeah. I said, Ella. And I started to cry. You know I never would. You know, I'll use all of my strength, all of my days to protect you. I love you, Ella. This is the condescending grace of our God. I'm just a big dad, and she was just a little girl. We have God, the maker of all things, the Holy One, and us, his rebellious creation. And his word to us is, I could crush you. Those who fear the Lord are right to fear the Lord, but he doesn't crush. He stoops down and is crushed for us. As Mark said, he who is powerful, perfectly powerful, is perfectly compassionate, and he's brought his gift not only to those who are great and proud, but as an unmerited gift. Not to those who are great in the world who can say, I can merit it by my greatness. I mean, it's obvious that you would come to someone like me among all of these peons around me who are suffering in their foolishness and in their poverty. It's right, Lord, that you would come and bless me as the greatest among them. No, he comes to those for whom his grace is absolutely unmerited, who can make no claim. Psalm 113, right? The Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like our God. Who is seated on high. Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust. Lifts the needy from the ash heap. Makes them sit with princes. With the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home. Making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Where did Mary get this idea for a song like this in the presence of Elizabeth? Can you hear the contrast the psalmist is making? The glory of the Lord is in the high heavens. Like last week, we considered the multitude of the heavenly host who sang, glory to God in the highest, right? And where's peace needed? Peace on earth to the recipients of grace who dwell in dust. On earth, peace. Mary is a humble servant and the Lord has worked great things for her. What does that mean? What does it mean that the Lord has worked great things for her? Mary is of humble estate. That does not necessarily mean, and I think this is so important, 
It does not necessarily mean that Mary is uniquely humble in all the earth. Mary is not uniquely the most humble person in all of creation. Uh, honestly, I think, I think you can make an argument for John the Baptist on that one. The little baby who is in Mary's presence on that day, right? What it means is that she is low in this world. Her estate, her dwelling in this world is in a low place. She has nothing about her that would merit the Lord's gift. The Lord, on the other hand, is not low. He is the Lord, he is God, and holy is his name, Mary says. Her estate is lowly, his estate is holy in the heavenly places. The one who has done great things for the one who is not great. Mary knows her position in this world. And really, that's one of the essential steps of faith to take hold of grace that you might have joy, is that you would know your position in this world. Most importantly, she knows her position before the Lord. Mary knows that as such, the Lord God, if, he would have, if she would have him at all, she would have him as Savior, Rescuer, Redeemer, not as something earned, but something given. Mary's emphasis is that the Lord is mighty. Why should we call her blessed? Because the Lord is mighty and has worked great things. Mary is not mighty. It's the whole point of what she's saying about condescending grace. The Lord is mighty. and He has done great things for that which is not. It's one of the great tragedies of history that many have exalted Mary to a near godlike status. But the whole point of the song, the Magnificat, is that Mary is low and the Lord is high. Let us have it no other way. May no saint in Christ ever have it any other way. There are no, none who are saints in Christ who do not say the Lord. The Lord is the Holy One. He has done great things. The business of the Lord is blessing. The business of the servant is faith. I believe that Mary's words are carefully chosen and wholly inspired. What will the generations call her? What, what, what does she say? Blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? It means to be a recipient of grace. It means to receive a gift. What do we know about Mary? She's a gift receiver. That's what we know. And how great is the gift that condescends to the lowly who in every way is in, other, in every other way undeserving. What Mary makes Mary so beautiful and worthy of our attention, we ought to give Mary attention, is not that she is great, but that she so beautifully rejoices in the Lord who is great and so humbly does receive a gift of grace. We too join her that we too would be called blessed. And friends, the generations will know the people of God. Christ formed in us as the blessed people. It's a blessed thing to be cared for by one who is great, and it is a thing worthy of praise to be great and yet to care for those who are humble. Exalted those of humble estate, he says in verse 42. And Jesus condescends to us that he would bring us to God. You see that? God comes to us that he would bring us to him. He exalts 
us. Not that we are great, but we've been brought to our God. What a great blessing. There's a third element, and it flows just right in. It's the next verses here, verses 54 and 55, that Mary's joy is a joy in covenant-keeping grace. Look at it with me. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. What does he do it? Was the framework for, for God's great work. The framework for God's great work is his mercy. He remembers his mercy, and his mercy came in the form of as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. His mercy comes in the form of his word, and he remembers his word, and he acts in mercy, giving grace. Mary's song is a powerfully personal song of praise, right? But part of that personal joy is a joy of being brought into a covenant people. And that's why radical individualism is so wicked. It's so, there's, there is just no song that remains radically individual. But you have been particularized to be brought to God where all the saints dwell together at the foot of the cross, exalted in resurrection to be a people, a covenant-receiving, grace-filled people together of faith. This is the purpose of our God in redemption. God, Mary is a recipient of grace because of the promise of the Lord to a people. Mary is a particular, individual, blessed woman because of a promise. To a people. Mary is the recipient of grace because the Lord spoke blessing to Abraham and to his offspring forever. We can actually go further back than Abraham, you know. The father of Israel to Eve, the mother of all people. In many ways, Mary is the final Eve. She is the final woman in the line of women who would lead to the fulfillment of the prophecy of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that the future child would destroy the works of Satan. Listen to the promise. God says, I will put enmity between you, that is the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This promise given to Eve is fulfilled in Mary's child, Jesus. The the enemy would bruise Jesus' heel. Jesus would be wounded, and Jesus would be put to death. But by that very death, Jesus would atone for sin, and in doing so, he destroys sin, death, and the devil. In the end, it's Satan who's defeated, and Jesus, the very child given to Mary, raises to victory. Friends, we are, we, are, we are remembering a covenant-keeping grace. It's a personal, condescending grace that the covenant-keeping Lord has, has not only brought to the seed of Abraham, but to all who place their faith in the child of Mary, who was promised to Eve, who was promised to Abraham, who was promised to David. It's promised. To us. Friends, it's grace. Grace that that promise is extended even to me. Our faith, our joy, our song is a covenant-keeping grace. Friends, I would have two things for us as we close. There are those here who have not yet believed. 
You've maybe participated in a lot of Advent and Christmas stuff along the way. Maybe you've hung around the church, or maybe you haven't. Friends, it is true that you with Mary are of lowly estate. Do you know that what we celebrate, long for in Advent, what we anticipate and what I anticipate for you this morning is that the Lord has come even to you this morning. You could rejoice in the Lord today to receive his grace by that only means of our reaching out to take it, which is faith. I am lowly. The Lord is holy. He's come to draw near to me. I receive his grace of forgiveness by faith alone. Do you know your state before the Lord? Do you feel the lowliness? So many of us know this. We know what it is to be insignificant to perhaps feel the lost in sorrow or lost in sin, know this, great are his deeds for you. For you, sinner. For you, lost. You, lowly of estate, and only thee. And you, and you may think, well, I know you're, you're talking to me, but, but I've decided I'm coming back to church. I'm gonna get things cleaned up so that I can receive that grace. It's not for you. That's the one that he brings low. That's the proud that he brings down. That's the rich in spirit that he sends off lacking. It is only for you who are of lowly estate, who know your measure before the Holy One. Grace to you. Receive his grace by faith alone. And for the believer, there are many here who are gathered who know his grace, that you know the Lord has called this gathering and he's enabled this gathering by his grace and you've come, you've heard the call to worship and this morning you're here and you know you're here by grace. Mary did the work of belief. There is a work that remains for those who have taken hold of grace by faith. And you're like, ah, you just destroyed faith. You just said works. There is a work that remains for a people who have taken hold of grace by faith. She sang. She sang. The the business of a grace-receiving people is to sing of the glory and grace of our God. Friends, all of the, the, the works of faith, all of the fruit of faith that flows from God's grace at work in you has its root in this, that he's made a worshiper out of you. And you're gonna worship him with your song. You're gonna worship him with your lives. You're gonna worship him with your repentance and your continued confession of your lowly estate and ongoing need of his grace. And all of this will work its way out in our song. It's, for me, I get so caught up. I have so many thoughts. I have so many busy things. I have so many things that are on my mind. I'm I'm often confused these days. If you, like me, have difficulty with joy, who here has difficulty with joy? I would encourage you to this. I've taken hold of it myself, and I don't know the joy of of walking in this joy as, as a confused, lowly man. Enjoy Mary's joy. Like, let, let her be your tutor 
Let, let, see her lowly estate and see the grace of our God upon her. See her love of the God who has loved her. And then confess that joy as your own. God, that's my joy. I don't know how to feel it. I don't know how to, how to express it, and I'm certainly not about to sing it. <laughs> but I confess, Lord, that joy is mine. Heavenly Father, you are the grace giver. Creation itself is evidence of the generosity of our God. You who had no need of anything, who was, you were perfectly perfect. In fellowship, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, in need of nothing, created. Your creation rebelled against you, and you, who are in need of nothing, condescended. The Holy One. And you have, have brought us into the heavenly places. You've formed yourself in us. And you're making us a people of of loving kindness and steadfast love and mercy. Thank you, God. We, we sing, we, we join with Mary. We, we are in, well to be in her company. Not so we can draw near to her, but we together, as a covenant people, recipients of grace, might dwell with the Holy One. God, I just pray that you do that you do that in this Advent season. You would do that in our homes. You would do that in our lives. You would do it in our friendships, in our visitations, in our time together, and in our time in our neighborhoods, and our, our work parties, that there would be a joy that we could bring there. In our schools as we wrap up the year, Lord, go with us with joy. Form joy in us that we might make known this joy to the world. Thank you, Lord. We trust you, the Holy One. We fear the Lord, and we know your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.